walk us through yeah. it. Yeah. So I, I, um, it kind of goes along, I guess, with my writing history. And uh, I like to tell folks I'm an overnight success in that it took 17 years and three books that didn't sell to finally sell uh, my first book in a two book deal. So completely overnight success. And I think a lot of that was going through and figuring out my writing process. Like you mentioned, uh, the guy who writes five books, like Kyle Mills, who writes now the Mitch Rapp series for Vince Flynn, since Vince Flynn passed away, he writes a 42,000 word outline before he writes every book. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's basically like half his novel. And so I have for my entire career tried to be better at outlining and, and just couldn't and couldn't. And I started, um, trying to get better at my craft. I went back and got an MFA in writing popular fiction. I started attending Thriller Fest, which is a fantastic conference. If you've never um, been to that for writers in New York. Can I stop you there real quick? You said an MFA in popular fiction? Yeah. So it's this fantastic MFA program in Seton Hill University, not Seton Hall, Seton Hill, little little liberal arts college. Seton Hall has that. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. And, and, uh, and, um, it is an, it's a low residency program and it's unabashedly genre focused. And so when you are accepted, they pair you, your, your thesis, is, your thesis is your novel that you write during the program. And they pair you with a faculty member who publishes in the genre that you want to write in. And so it, it was, it was incredibly helpful again, because it's genre focused and it taught you I think, which is one of the things that's critical for a writer is this thing around close reading, right? Like, so you read the book the first time for enjoyment. And the second time is when you go back through and Stephen King, great example on, on writing when he talks about that is picking the book apart and saying, how does a writer do what he does? And so one of big, big influences on me is, is um, Vince Flynn and his Mitch Rapp series. And I actually took one of his books and I can't remember the name of it. And, and carted out every scene and had a different color for yeah. every protagonist, you know, and then I put it on our, my bedroom wall, with which my wife was less than thrilled about, but we lived in a small house at the time and I could just stare at it. And when you step back and you see it all in the wall, you're like, okay, here's where he introduces the antagonist, right? Here's the second point of view. And you can start to see like pacing take shape. And so there's a huge amount, I think you, you learn from picking apart how other writers do it. But then you have to find your process, right? And I'm more of an organic writer. And there's a, a great guy named Stephen James that wrote a book called Story Trump Structure. And so what he talks about is what I do is writing more organically, where you're getting to the end of a chapter and you say, you know, you kind of ask yourself a series of questions like, how can I make this harder for my protagonist? How can I raise the stakes? What are the questions that I asked in the last chapter that haven't been answered yet? And you kind of use that as a template to get through your first draft. But then what I found in, in, um, in my MFA program, we talked quite a bit about screenwriting as well, is I needed some sort of structure to lay back over top of that first draft once yeah. I had it. And, and so because of that, the Save the Cat book was really good because he writes from this ironclad, these are the things that have to be in it. In fact, the reason why it's called Save the Cat is he says, you know, any good screenplay within the first, and I can't remember how many minutes, say 15 minutes, the protagonist does something kind for somebody, like he saves the cat, right? And so he has these beats in there. And so what was super helpful for me is to take this really rough, loosey-goosey kind of fluid first draft and then drop kind of a structure on top of that to say, okay, 
am I actually, do I have the inciting event where it needs to be? Is the break between act one and act two? And so for me, that helped kind of bridge the gap from the incredibly creative process that's the first draft to, okay, now I actually got to knuckle down and, and turn this into something for the second or third draft. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you 100% when you go back to saying when you were living in the small house and you had on the mm-hmm. bedroom wall. What yep. I did for my, you know, I wrote a novella and you mm-hmm. know, I didn't take, you know, I, I've been a touring musician my whole life, but I've been a nice. And the nice. way I, you know, have always written music was, you know, there's a, yeah. there's a blueprint already, you know, the Beatles already sure. gave us the blueprint. I'm not going to yeah, break yeah. the chord progressions and stuff the like that. Yeah. First yeah, chorus, yeah, yeah. bridge, whatever, whatever. Yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, I, I asked you specifically when you said the MFA in mm-hmm. popular fiction, and then you went on to yep. say genre. Um, when yep. I wrote the novella, it was a boxing novella, but what I did was I took the old man in the sea by Ernest Hemingway. Nice. Yep. And I just went through it paragraph by paragraph. Oh, and I'm like, cool. this is how he structured. This is yep. how you write a novella. Yep. Like yep. Just, just like you said, you're able to step yep. back and see how it actually looks yeah. structure yep. wise. Um, that's pretty dope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, that that's the, that's the part, right. Where I feel, I feel like we as craftsmen, you have to pull apart what they actually did, right? Mm-hmm. Because the first time it hits you and it's just magic and you're like, man, how did they do that? And then the second part is you're taking away kind of those rose colored glasses and you're peeking behind the curtain and how did they actually do that? You know, you, you talk about um, being a musician. So I'm a terrible, terrible guitar player. And that. <laughs> oh, do you play guitar? Very, very badly. Like, if okay, well, you can your guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was checking out your guitars. So in my I got a Gibson book, SG and a Gibson ES339. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So in in my first book, I did I used it quite a bit in that my character Matt Drake Matt Drake had some PTSD issues. And the way that he dealt with it was through playing guitar. And when I learned guitar, maybe like most people, is that you start with very simple chord prog- progressions. And, and the, the guy that was teaching me did a lot of Eagle songs because they're very deceptively simple chord progressions, right, on the surface. But then when you get in the next layer and you're like, holy crap, what all are they doing there? But Don, you on just the won surface, a lot of like, fans by giving an Eagle yes! on the podcast, trust me. Oh, man, I love <laughs> the Eagles. It's all over. It's all over the first Yeah, book, I love it. I love still, it. I love it. But but that's what it is, right? It looks very, very simple. on, on, on And, you know, when you're just looking at the chord structure, like, G, A, C, D, and E minor in there for kick. Like, how hard can this be? And then when you see what they do from an art standpoint, I think that's, I think the same thing applies to writing, right? There's the part where you marvel at it, and then the part where you try and pick it apart and see how do the masters do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you don't mind me asking, let's rewind yeah. the tape back a little bit. Um, sure. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? You know, how did you, what brought you to writing eventually? Yeah, so I grew up in in the Midwest in Ohio originally, and um, loved writing all through school. and And I went to I went to college at um, at the Ohio State University, mm-hmm. and and probably the only guy who who was admitted uh, as a poli sci guy and switched to electrical engineering. Okay. And so I always had that that craziness e- even through college, where I was still working on a novel inside. In my my senior year, we had to take this. Um, technical writing class, like writing for engineers, right? And so the very first assignment the instructor gives us, and it's a softball assignment, and he says, write about something you built. And so 
all my dutiful classmates write about a circuit board or something they built. And I wrote this funny story about, you know, building a treehouse when I was a kid. And so didn't think anything of it, turned it in. And so the next time we come to class and the instructor gets up and he's like, I don't usually do this, but one of your papers reminded me as a kid and I want to read it to you. And he read me mine. And I'm like, this is my crowning moment in my collegiate career. And I majored in the wrong thing. And so I did, you know, after that, I went into the army and um, continued to write on the side and never finished the novel, wrote some short stories and stuff. And about 2001, I decided to get serious about it. And I think, you know, one of the things and would would love to hear your opinion on this, too, when people ask about, like, what's important in being a writer? Or how do you do it? I think, you know, you don't have to have an, an MFA. In fact, many of the folks in my genre who are very successful don't. But there are some basic things you need to understand about the mechanics of writing, about what makes a novel a novel. And so I finally took, and this was, I'm I'm dating myself, like I said, back in 2001, Writer's Digest, the magazine offered these online courses, right? Like this is the novel course, this is the short story. And so I took a couple of those, wrote my first novel, got an agent, it didn't sell, um, and we parted ways. Wrote my second novel, got an uh, got an agent. It didn't sell. And so that's when I, I had the the GI Bill and I said, you know what, I could go back and and I'd heard about this MFA program that was, you know, like I said, unabashedly genre fiction. And I was like, I'll go try that. So I wrote my third novel in there, um, then took that to Thriller Fest, which is an incredible conference. And that's the other thing I'll tell folks is that even in an MFA program, you're surrounded by students who want to learn and and great professors and stuff. But if you want to meet the people who are actually doing this for a living and are successful as writers and stuff or editors of things, like the conferences are invaluable, right? Because if you you go to a conference and for a beer or two after, at the end of the day, as everybody's hanging around in the bar, you're getting a master's class on writing, on the business of writing, on the stuff. And you know that to me was another pivotal inflection point, I think, in my writing career. And that's where I met my agent for the first time, but she turned that novel down and said, go home and write a better book. And so after an appropriate period of sulking, uh, I went home and wrote my fourth book and that's the one that ended up selling. But if you, you know, people say, well, what about the first three? And I was like, no, the first three are exactly where they belong in a trunk somewhere, never to be seen again. Because, you know, you think about how writing works. If you want to be a carpenter, you don't go to your garage the first time and create this, you know, masterful um, piece of furniture. Like you build something and it sucks a little bit and you get a little bit better and you build something and sucks. And there's that whole, you know, any kind of craft, there's that whole apprentice journeyman kind of master thing. But we think in writing a lot of time, well, how hard can it really be? I should be able to write the first time and and it sells. And, and I think that's part of the, honestly, the tension in writing too, is because there's one part that's perseverance, right? Like I'm also a big fantasy fan. And Brandon Sanderson, I think, wrote 13 novels before he got his first one and sold it. And so there's certainly a perseverance aspect. But the second part of that is that if you're writing the same novel over and over again, and you're not changing anything or figuring out why the other ones didn't sell, you're probably not going to get any further ahead than you were in the others. And that's the tricky part, right? And so for me, the the two things I I tell folks from, from my humble experience is perseverance and then finding like a good critique partner that is hopefully a little bit farther along the path than you are that can help shape some of that. Hey man, you're almost here there, but 
Nick Petrie is a great example. He writes that awesome series with Peter Ash and uh, his first book is called The Drifter. And we share the same agent. And when I was getting ready, I'd met him at Thriller Fest. When I was getting ready to submit to my agent, he offered to take a look at my book. And so, you know, I was all pumped. I thought I was ready to send it to her and I sent it to him and he came back and said, here's some great things. But then he said something that just punched me right between the eyes. And he's like, you need another edit like this. You haven't worked hard enough on this. There are more things to take out. And he was good enough to take like one chapter and show me what he would have done. And, and I was so pissed off because I'm like, you just don't understand my voice. You don't. And so I, I sulked for a little bit. And then I thought, you know what? The last three books that I tried to do on my own didn't sell. Here's a guy who is a very successful writer that went out of his way to help me. And I started to look at it. And I was like, you're right. And that's why I love that on writing book, going back to the Stephen King thing, because he does that, right? He shows you his first draft and then he shows you an edit. And, he, and his, I think, is you know, second draft is first draft minus 20% or whatever, right? That was exactly me. And I was like, Nick is right. I got to go back and do another edit before it's done. And those are the things that I think it helps, whether it's an MFA program, whether it's a conference, whether it's a good critique, critique partner, those are hard things to learn. You can be very, very perseverant, but if you don't have somebody that can point you towards those things, that's really, really hard to learn on your own for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, just hearing you talk, it seems like you're a pretty confident man to begin with, um, <laughs> you know, and again, rejection's a huge thing. You know, yeah. well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my personal experience in the sense of the novella yeah. I wrote, I got 73 rejections and, nice. you know, but none of them were, you know, I didn't get any feedback. It was all yeah. just, yeah. you know, whatever. And at the time I'm like, like you said, like, well, they're just idiots. Like they don't yeah. see the yeah, yeah, yeah. piece of art. Well, no, it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to yeah. be. Um, I want to, yep. again, kind of go back. Um, sure. When you joined the army, mm -hmm. um, you, I'm assuming you said you went right out of high school into, or I'm sorry, after college, you went into yeah. the army, right? Yep. Were, yep, what yep. was your, how were you writing when you were serving? Were you writing at all during that time? I mean, how quickly also what, year you know when sure put in a perspective i was a freshman in high school on 9 11 that didn't on 9 11 okay. and yep, yep. 9 11 i was 15 miles west of manhattan in, in northern wow. new jersey my father worked um, in the towers from 1990 to 1999 um, i mean gosh. i was at the top of those buildings for you know a yep. dozen times um so i'm assuming you were part of you know again you know yeah. talk about your writing during that sure. time Sure. So I was, I went into, so I went to school on an army ROTC scholarship and then went in 97, I was commissioned and I was lucky enough to get, um, flight school. And then at flight school, you compete for the aircraft you wanted. And I was lucky enough again to get Apaches. And it is, it is hard to have a bad day when you're flying Apache helicopters. Like it's this, your job is to go out and blow stuff up. And that's, I mean, who doesn't want to go out and blow stuff up. And so the, um, I, I went and was flying Apaches and in, in September 11th, I was actually in at Fort hood. Um, and then shortly after that in 2005, yeah, 2004 to 2005, I deployed to Afghanistan. And so I'd actually written my first book or finished my first book, um, while we were in Germany and worked on my second book while we were in Afghanistan. I think I, I finished it shortly thereafter, but that was Afghanistan was very much, um, 
a pivotal moment for me, both um, in my life and my writing career, in that on um, June 28, 2005, I was a part of this operation to um, try and go rescue four SEALs who we had lost contact with. And um, the helicopter that I was trying to escort, which was a Chinook, um, was and, and had a bunch of SEALs in it as well. That was the QRF or Quick Reactionary Force was shot down and there wasn't anything I could do to stop it. And it was, you know, it's that moment in time and, and not to, to be trite about it, but the, the, the best analogy I can think of is that imagine you are um, a pro football player and you spent your entire career getting ready for the Super Bowl and you get to play and on the first play you fumble the ball and then you're out of the game for the rest of it. And that's, that's what it felt like was that at that moment, the thing that was most important that I'd spent my entire career training for went completely sideways and there was nothing I can do about it. And so I really latched on to that experience and brought it into my first book in that my protagonist, Matt Drake, um, and without sanction, which is my first book is a, a, um, he works for the defense intelligence agency, the DIA as a case officer. And so what that means is uh, much like with the CIA as a case officers, their job is to go and recruit and, and run what in the intelligence community you call assets and when I was an FBI agent, we called sources. And so he, at the beginning of the book, he has had um, an operation that's gone tragically wrong and it cost his asset, his life, and it crippled his best friend. And so that's where he's starting with in the beginning of the book is where very much I was when I got out of the army. And so I, I wrote um, my second book while I was in the army, got, got out, um, and then, like I said, wrote my third book um, while I was in the FBI and, and going to get my MFA. And so those things very much, I was writing at the same time, you know, in my spare time when I would do it, but those things very much um, shaped who I was going to write and what I was going to write about. Um, a really good uh, friend of mine, like I said, I, I think Nick Petrie, I, I tend to attribute anything that sounds really smart to Nick Petrie because he's really smart. Um, should we have him on the podcast? Yes, you should have him on the cool. program. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy. But he said, you know, when you're coming to write genre fiction, what you want to do is write something that's the same but different. And so there are already a really, you know, Brad Taylor and Mark Graney and, and you know, whoever else write fantastic books in this genre. And we don't need another Brad Taylor book because Brad Taylor writes Brad Taylor books really well. And so what you want to do is write something that fits into that genre but is different. And so when I started looking at what was out there and what the different protagonists did, I kind of drew on my experience and built this guy who was the same, but different. So for instance, I write my books in first person. And, and the reason why I do that is because Nelson DeMille's John Corey series was such a huge influence on me. And he has this, I remember reading one of his first one, which is called Plum Island. And he's got this super witty, super funny protagonist. And I was like, you know what? I would read about that guy going to the grocery store because yeah. he's so that voice, right? Brings you back. And, and not a lot of people do that. So I grabbed hold of that. And then there are a ton of folks in this genre who are um, like Mitch Rapp. We talked before about what Kyle Mount, uh, Mills read, that works for the CIA as an assassin or, or um, Brad Taylor has Pike Logan, who's a counterterrorism operative. I love like, all these names. He's all these, again, yeah, is, he, is that a common theme in this genre? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I think you gotta, you gotta have the protagonist. that sounds like he's a rough, tough guy. I think it's part yeah, of it. No, it's just, it's, funny. I mean, you're, it's just, yeah, they're all one syllable. It's just funny. <laughs> like calling the dog. It's gotta be one syllable. Yeah. It's gotta just roll out of the tongue. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, like, so I very much went and said like, what can I do that leverages um, my background, but brings something the same that's different. And if you, you kind of alluded it to before I'm, I was an Apache pilot. I deployed in Afghanistan. I was an FBI special agent and a SWAT guy for a while. And, and it wasn't, I didn't do really cool things, but I got to meet really cool people. And so what I've done over the years is kind of pull bits and pieces of their stories together. Um, several of my closest friends in the, in the company I work with now are veterans of the Ranger Regiment. And so that's a, an army unit that's part of special operations and they have something very specific um, that governs them. It's called the Ranger Creed. And to you and I, it would sound like an HR mission statement or something like that. But to them, it's something that they internalize that guide their actions, both as a Ranger and once they leave the Ranger Regiment. And there's a stanza in the, that says, never will I leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy, right? And that, again, sounds real good. We'd be like, yeah, we, we could get behind that. But they take it a step further in that that's kind of this, this pledge that they make to each other that says, when you go into harm's way, I, will, I can't guarantee that you will come back alive, but I will make sure you come back. And in fact, one of my good friends is a, um, a former member of, of Delta Force, and he was in uh, the, the tragedy that was Black Hawk Down. And he, kind of, he told me a story about that when the helicopters were, were shot down and, and they knew that the folks inside were dead and that they were under fire um, from the enemy, they still stayed until they got every last service member out of that helicopter, even though they knew that they weren't alive anymore, even though they, they were taking fire, because that is the vow that they made to each other, that never will will. I leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. And so I made my protagonist a ranger and I, and the ranger creed um, figures very, very prominently in my first book and without sanction. And so those are the kind of things that I feel like if you do, you don't have to have by any means, uh, you know, a super cool background to be a good writer. Um, there were plenty of folks, you know, Vince Flynn was a bartender and Brad Thor was a travel writer before. And, you know, Mark, Mark Graney um, did different things, he, but he never served what? in the military. But I think but by grabbing that and bring it in, maybe that's what helps set you apart. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we had Mark on the podcast, and yep. um, I haven't released the episode yet. But, uh, I mean, he would put, you know, he did 10 years of jack shit before, you know, <laughs> he, you know, and it's interesting. Again, you know, I'm in that, maybe yep. that era of my life where I'm like in my yep. early 30s, I'm, you know, running this dog walking business. But I sure. am, as soon as I, so I, I, you know, I finished writing my first novel essentially last mm -hmm. night in the sense that it goes to my editor this week. Nice. Congratulations, um, thank man. You. Yeah, yeah, it's dope. But to go on to what you're talking about is, you know, it's you, you made it sound like it's easy for you to write about what you know, but to make it different, right? Yeah. Same, but different. I wrote yep. a book about a fictional rock and roll band. I've lived nice. in sands. I've, li I've torn on buses. I've done it all. Um, mm -hmm. But there's books out there that have done these fictional rock and roll bands. Um, yep. I did it where I did my own research. I was grabbing mm -hmm. these books. I'm going, I'm like, what are they yep. doing? How can I do yep. the same thing, but different? Um, Absolutely. That's, a huge thing. that's huge. Absolutely. And there's, I was talking with my editor early t earlier today, who is also, so Tom Colgan is my editor. He's also Mark Graney's editor and Mark Cameron, who does the Tom Clancy senior series. And he said, you know, 
you can look at a good, a, a really great writer doesn't have to have that background. And sometimes, in fact, that background can be a detriment because you, as you, as you were maybe alluding to, you could have relied on your own experience, but you still went out and researched it because your own experience has some blind spots in it, I would imagine. And so you wanted to go out and, and look beyond your blind spots. And a good writer anchors you with those little bits of veracity that you're like, what it smells like when you're, you know, when you're up on stage with the band members talking, you know, things like that, that nobody else would know. And, and you take that and you pull the reader in and then you've got them and they believe it, right? Because that's what our job is at the bottom line to be writers is to make the readers believe it. And so if you can add that little bits of veracity, that's what, when I, when I send, when I have um, particular scenes, I'll send it to my friends who have done cool things and ask them to read it. And I, most of the time, if they'll let me, I'm like, don't, don't email me the answers to my questions. Let's get on the phone and talk about it. Because a lot of times as you're going back and forth, it might not even be a question you ask, but there'll be some crazy little detail. And you're like, I got to use that. Like I, that's so good. And it grounds the scene so well. And it wasn't something you even intended, but like you said, because you're willing to go do the research and go talk to people who have actually done it, you can grab that. And now it goes from kind of that hazy scene that's in your mind to like, it's grounded and it's real and the reader believes it. Yeah. And you know, <sighs> we had, Michelle Gallen is another author we had on and I, I'm it's only, it's so fresh in my head because I mean I produce this podcast too so I make all these clips and I so I listen sure. back to everything and I was listening back to our podcast with her today and she's like you know what people never talk about or write about in a book they're like when someone's taking a shit like you never <laughs> you know what I'm saying like there are things that are just kind of generalized yeah. in fiction yeah, yeah, yeah. Writing in general that we kind of just gloss over so my sure. question for you in is really, you know, are you the kind of writer? I mean, do you talk about, you know, the grade of the bullet? Do you talk about you know, the finite things? In my yeah. book, I went overboard. I'm talking string gauges. I'm talking, you know, <laughs> amplifier models and tube numbers. How, yeah. you know, do you, how do you balance that? That's a super hard thing to balance because I, I'm not a gear guy. Like uh -huh. I, I, I use the stuff that was given to me, but I don't have too much of a closet full of stuff. And so for me, it's like my, I'll answer it this way. Besides the different writers that we talk about, I'm a kid of the eighties and nineties and the things that influenced me the most besides book were movies and specifically movies like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon or Bad Boys. And, and what I loved about that, like if you, if you look at Die Hard from a veracity standpoint, Okay, so there's a lot of things in there that you could point to to say, eh, somehow he straps the explosives to the chair and he drops it in the elevator and explodes at just the right floor and takes those guys out. But there's enough there where it's not, say, um, Fast and Furious, where those movies are almost like comic books or cartoons because they're so beyond the belief. You know, you got Rock that's holding like on to a helicopter. On one. Yeah, exactly, like kung fu movies. And so... That's where I try to, or, or you have the other extreme that are documentaries, right? That are completely true. Everything in it is valid. I try and write more of Die Hard is that it's enough there where you'll give me a pass, right? So when I gave it in, when I, when I gave um, without sanction to my Delta Force friend, there's a scene in there where there's a hey-ho, a high altitude, high opening jump sequence that happens. And so I had him read through it and he's like, Yep, this is good. This is good. Change this. This would never happen. I'm like, okay, 
but was it a good story? He's like, it was a really good story. I'm like, it's staying because that's the, at the end of the day, right? I'm not, I'm not writing a how to manual. I'm not working a documentary. I'm trying to write die hard and I'm trying to write something that's really fun. That's fast. That, um, the dialogue is great. The relationships and the, maybe the weapons and stuff are right, but I'm not me personally. I'm not going to go into hours and hours of research to figure out the grain of the bullet and how many feet per minute and stuff it's coming out of the barrel. Some people can do that really well. Some people don't do it as well and it drags down the pacing, right? And and I what I keep coming back to is our primary job is to entertain and when if you pull the reader out because there's so many technical aspects, there's so much that then we stopped entertaining them. And that's I'm always going to default to die hard. <laughs> I mean, that should be your new Twitter profile. I'm trying to write Die Hard. <laughs> trying uh, to write Die Hard, one novel at a time. Well, I mean, why not? I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. uh, I guess what it comes down to for me, and I think you're probably going to agree, is you also have to enjoy what it is that you're writing about yes. and enjoy the process yes. of it. So if you're spending yes. all this time fucking re researching things that you don't really give a shit about to begin with, yep to shove yep. in your book, are you as a reader going to even enjoy it? You know, I mean, no, why, why even do right. that? Why go that length? That's absolutely right. And, and that is, um, when I, so the outside man comes out tomorrow and then I also am lucky enough to write in the Tom Clancy, uh, world. And my first Tom Clancy book, it's called Tar target acquired comes out in June. And so that one was a much more, I took a harder look at it because in, in the original Tom Clancy stuff, he was very, very much detail oriented. And there's one, I think it's dead of honor where you're an electron moving through a nuclear bomb and you're, you're seeing all of that stuff. And it was, you know, at first I was like, you know, how much is this going to make me alter my writing style? Because I want to stay true to me. It's like getting invited to write, you know, in the star Wars universe, right? Like there's this huge canon and, you know, giants have come before you and now you're given this opportunity to do it. And my editor was really, really good about it. And he's like, look, I'm not, I don't want you to channel Tom Clancy. He's like, I want you to bring what you do to this universe and stay true to the characters and such that are there. But he's like, I picked you because I like your other books and I want that style in this universe. And that, that gave me a lot more confidence to do it. And then I also went back and read, that was... Tom Clancy was kind of my gateway drug to to the military thriller universe, right? I was probably 13 or 14 when I read Red Storm Rising. And so I went back as an adult and read a bunch of his older books and actually wrote in my journal, here are the things that I liked about it, here are the things that jazzed me, and then tried to see, you know, what could I do that was the same but different for that too, that says, this is what a person expects when they pick up a book that says Tom Clancy on it. But here's what I bring that's the unique me that maybe we can figure out a way to marry those two things together. Um, yeah, a couple of things. First quick question. Did you ever meet Tom? No, no, I did not. So he, so Mark Graney did. Mark Graney. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he had a story for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm new to Tom Clancy. My father was sure. huge into that stuff. Yep, um, yep, yep. What was the book you mentioned specifically? What was it called? Yeah, so it was called Red Storm Rising. And that one is a unique one because it's not part of, it's a standalone Clancy book. So it doesn't have any of the characters that are in um, his other ones. It was, it was about a, and I, I'm a kid, like I said, a kid that grew up in the 80s where 
we used to think we were going to lob nuclear missiles back and forth at, at Russia. And that's what that book is. It's kind of World War Three um, with the Russians invade, that kind of thing. But his the the probably the book folks are most familiar for with is Hunt for the Red October, which was the first one that was made into a movie with Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan and everything. So, yeah, it was when when um, my editor offered me the 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 chance to do that. It was about a year ago this time because I just turned in edits for the outside man and we were having oh, okay. our editorial so you're new to this whole world Again, yeah this is my first one yep, yeah yep, this yep. is new to me that the idea that there can be a an author who created a whole yep and then yep. He, they pass away and then people can come into that I, yeah. I can only relate it to the comic book world really to comic books or like i said i i, I equate it too to star wars right there's huge number of star wars novels and 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 you know some of it's canon some of it's not canon where writers have been invited to to come into that universe and pick up those characters and write with them and so our editor tom colgan is kind of the gatekeeper for that right so he is the one you know when i wrote and this is kind of the funny thing because you can bring too much to yourself to it right and so in in target acquired i wrote this scene and uh, my editor is like yeah he's like you would you know jack ryan jr would never i was like well matt would talk that way to him and he's like yeah you got to go back and fix yeah. that right and so he's the gatekeeper between them that says, here is what stays true to the Clancy universe. And here's how far you can go, but you still got to stay within those guardrails. Yeah. And kind of the other crazy thing about the Clancy universe is there's two different series that happen in parallel. And so Mark um, Cameron writes the Tom Clancy series that has Jack Ryan Sr., who is the his primary protagonist, who's now an older guy that's been president for a while. And then I write his son, who is, if you, if you know the Amazon series, Jack Ryan, he's about that age in the books. Well, the books go like this. So his book, my book, his book, my book. And so when I read, when I was writing my first one, the writer before me, um, Mike Madden, fantastic writer, gave me his book and I read it and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is good. I can work with this. And then, and then I knew Mark Cameron was working on something but I was like, ah, I read his synopsis. There's nothing there that's going to do it. Well, he did something at the very end of my book that I found or at the end of his book that I found out about like 70,000 words into my book. And I'm like, I can't believe you did that. You just took this character yeah. and now I got to go back and do it. And so we, it, it wasn't as catastrophic as I thought it was, but we kind of had that good laugh because our book staggered. So I told him, you know, at the end of my book, your character has a stroke and he's in a wheelchair. So good luck. We'll see what you do with that. But it is it is kind of crazy where you have the same characters that kind of drift back and forth between the two series. And is there a crossover or a spillover audience? Do you get fans from when you write these? Yeah. Will they will now check out your other writing? Do you find that? Yeah, out? absolutely. Absolutely. So that's one of the big draws of being asked to do it. And I talk with when when my editor, Tom, said, hey, if you want to do this, I'm going to set up a call with you and Mark Granny and Mark, the guy that you, I don't, I don't know if you know Mark other than when you interviewed him, but yeah. he, so he is exactly like how he is in a podcast and a real person, like the nicest guy in publishing very total. So yeah, very yeah, soft spoken, yeah. like very encouraging. And so when we started the call, he's like, okay, I'm not going to tell you to do this um, because it's really hard and here are all the things. And so he started going through them. And then at the end of it, he's like, you have to do this. You have to do this. And and one of the reasons why he said that is exactly that. Like how many, he was writing the gray man series before anyway. 
but how many of his readers went from Tom Clancy to the gray man series and how that helped out his book. So yeah, for sure. That's one of the huge straws of being asked to, to do that. Yeah. Oh, uh, wait, uh, we're going to edit this part out. Reba's book. <laughs> let, me, let me put her in the crates. Hold on one sec. No, no worries. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm in the honeymoon period right now because it's my first book, but another friend of mine who you should have on too is um, Josh hood. And so he writes in the Robert Ludlum universe. And so he did something really smart is he went to some of the fan boards for Robert Ludlum and kind of stalked them at first. (laughs) And then, yeah. And then he actually went out and he said, Hey, I'm writing one of these books. What are the things you guys have wanted to see and haven't seen? And he got a ton of feedback and some of it he ended up using. And so I talked to Mark, um, Mark Graney and Mark Cameron and Mike Madden about that a little bit. And he said, you know, on the whole, most people are pretty good. You'll have some, crazy people like even even now when my book that comes out um tomorrow the outside man we were also advertising that hey i'm i'm the the new tom clancy guy and i can't tell you the number of awesome facebook posts i got from people that says tom clancy's dead you can't be writing with him you're not a co-writer i'm like thank you thank you for that i appreciate your (laughs) your kindness there but they said you know they've said for the, for the most part that the experience is is pretty positive because I, I think again like any great series you know fans want they don't want it to die right you don't that's why we were again 80s kid grew up in with Star Wars and then had to wait for half my life for them to come out again right and and I get and now you know I, I take my now kids you can't to get them enough of them Jesus now you can't get yeah. enough of them you got them coming out left and right and yeah. stuff but it but it is like as a fan you don't want something good to die. And so you might, you might give them a hard time. I I think maybe it's part of it, but for the most part, they're great fans that just want to see the characters live on. And so I think if we can do that, we're probably doing our job. Yeah. Um, Are you still a fan of this genre? Do you read these books in your spare time or do you read Shakespearean, you know, literature? (laughs) I am a fan of the genre, but what I found is, I can read less and less of it in my spare spare time. And the reason, and that isn't because I dislike it any, any, or, or, or not like it as much anymore. It's because we're all writing similar things. And so, so Brad Taylor is a good friend of mine. His last book was Hunter Killer was, was fantastic. And I am dying to read his new book, which is called American Trader, but I know it has China as a centerpiece in it. And I'm doing something, I think, with China in my next book. And so I'm very, very cautious about reading it because it's so easy to become derivative. And and most of us think alike. That's why we write in that genre. So I'm also, in addition to thrillers, I read a bunch of other genres, but I'm a huge, huge fantasy fan. And one of my favorite writers is um, Jim Butcher, who writes the Harry Dresden file stuff. And what's, what's, you know, and it's, it's probably about as far from traditional espionage thrillers and stuff as you can get but going back again to deconstructing how masters do things he writes this series of books that that has a wizard but it's almost more like the beginning ones are like gumshoe detective kind of crime fiction stuff and he is the master of ratcheting up the stakes every every chapter right every chapter he twists it a little more every chapter and so the last one i read of his that i really really um loved was called peace talks and I did the same thing. Like I read it through the first time, loved it, and then went back and read it through the second time. I'm like, how did he keep that much tension for an entire novel? Like, yeah. what did he do to be able to do that? And so I did, maybe that's one of the 
the downsides or, or the only downside of being able to write in this genre is that you, I think you kind of have to start limiting yourself just because you're like, I don't want to read what Brad's doing. Cause I'm trying to do my own thing and I don't want to be influenced or I know Mark Graney, like Mark Graney. And, and he probably didn't tell you this because he's such a humble guy. He wrote this standalone book called red metal that pretty much revitalized the, the there used to be in the, in the late eighties, this, sprawling like almost epic military um thrillers that were the red storm rising's example where it was like these um great power competitions like reimagined a korean war reimagined he just wrote that in his spare time in red metal and you know hit the new york times bestseller with it and crushed it and and i know he's writing another one right now with rip rawlings and i'm like I don't think I can read it. I think I've got to wait until I get a break from this because he's a super smart guy, but all of our brains kind of track along. And I was like, I got to nail down what I'm doing first. And and I think maybe this was part of the Stephen King thing too, about not sharing your first drafts with anybody, right? Because mm. it's such a tenuous thing right there that if you share it with somebody, if you get feedback so much, you can kill it. And I think the same can be true is if you read something that's too close to what you're writing, right? Because you're comparing something that's very, very infantile in its draft form with something that's a finished project. And when you read those two, the dissonance, you're just going to look at what you're writing. You're like, this is trash. I got to throw it out. And so that may be one of the only downsides. The upsides is I get to meet these awesome folks. The downside is I can't read what they write as much as I used to. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I mean, with me writing this rock and roll book, you know, two books came out this year about fictional. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been a book about a fictional rock and roll (laughs) that anyone's given a shit about in 30 years. And two novels got published this year that were huge. I mean, you know, people talking about them. And, but my, you know, my thing is just so different that. I was, you know, I was trying to be, you know, the, one of the books is by David Mitchell. It's called Utopia mm-hmm. Avenue. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't like going to just be morally crushed that, mm-hmm. you know, he was just, in, I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't writing the same things. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Um, do you find influence still from, you know, are you a fan of the action thriller movies that are coming out? Do you know anyone who writes these movies? Are you part of that? Mm. I don't know anybody who writes the movies. What yeah. I do or the know, TV so you shows? Should, well, you should. So Jack Carr, you should have him on because his um, he was on Rogan. trying to get him on. Ever since he got on Rogan, he kind of blew up. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can see that. But he's yeah. um, Mark Graney too. I'm sure he talked to you about the Gray Man. But Mark isn't writing the ad- adaptation for it. Like he optioned it, and and I think the Russo brothers are the ones who's writing it. Jack is actually involved and is writing the adaptation for the terminal list as well and so he he does it another great guy you should have on um good friend of mine is um chris haughty and so his he debuted the same time as i did and his debut was called um deep state and so what makes chris really interesting is he made his living as a screenplay writer in hollywood for most of his life and then transitioned to novel writing and so He's been on the other side hat and has some really cool insight into what that's like versus writing a novel. And so I know that um, his book, Deep State, was optioned. And I think his his follow-on is called um, Savage Road. And I don't know if that one's been optioned or not. But those are the two guys I know who have been in the business or who are, are working in it. But not not me, unfortunately. I think that'd be a super fun thing to do. But 
I, it's, it's interesting when, when you talk to Chris about it, he'll give you the, the real life thought. Um, but his, his kind of take on it is that the novel, the, the novel writing community is so much more supportive and so much more welcoming, um, than the folks who write screenplays. So yeah, uh, I mean, be the gr- you say, I mean, that makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of, for me, I mean, you know, with books, you know, there should be as many books as possible yeah. because there's so many yep. things, but I can, there's only so many movies that can get made. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's a whole different, that's a whole different business. Exactly. I, I, right. Um, I have someone in my family, uh, my brother's brother-in-law, who's a big time writer for these Marvel movies. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, that's a different thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, how much of your day, I mean, you mentioned you're writing about China. How much of your days do you watch the news at all? I mean, are you a big news junkie, CNN, Fox, whatever? Uh, yeah. The I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big news junkie, but I don't get it, um, from right or from watching. I, I do a lot. I listen to podcasts. I listen to, um, one of the guys I like listening to is Hugh Hewitt. Cause he brings on a lot of interesting people. Um, and then I do a lot of reading, a lot of research on the internet, a lot of clicking on links and like, Oh, that's interesting. I bet. And so I've just got on my email folder, I've just got a folder that says research where I'm constantly dumping things I find into the internet on there. And so I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I do consume a voracious amount of news for sure. And I think, you know, some of the, some of the folks say that a thriller writer's job is to, you know, is to write something that beats the headlines or matches the headlines. I think I, I don't try and do that, but I think you want to write something that still feels contemporary, right? That feels like, yep, this is, this didn't happen today, but I could see it happening in a future or I can, or, or can kind of guess where this is going to go and stuff. And so I think to do that, you have to be, you have to stay up on current events for sure. Yeah, we had on Elliot Ackerman and he, I don't know if you know him, um, and he just released a new book. I think it's called, 24 20 or something and, and mm-hmm. he, he's talking about thermonuclear wars and you know, <laughs> with bitcoin and i mean you know he's all i mean it's intense it's crazy um so you're, i'm you say your third book is on the floor by you how quickly mm-hmm. are you would you are you able to pop these things out i mean are, do you have kind of your recipe now to do this yeah this is so this is um it's actually my one, two, it's my third Matt Drake book that's on the floor, but it'll be my fourth book that I've written for this editor. Cause I wrote okay. two Matt Drake books. So the outside man is what comes out tomorrow. And then target acquired is my Tom Clancy book. And then book number four is on the floor. And so what, so right now I'm signed up to do two books a year. And so I do one of my books and one of the Tom Clancy books, which, which certainly compresses the timeline quite a bit. So you got to, you have to turn a book around basically in six months. Cause that's the, that's one of the things I talked to Mark Graney about. He wrote two books a year for a while. And Brad Taylor wrote two books a year. And they said, you know, you can't really write two books at the same time. So what you really got to do is write a book in six months, be done, turn around and write another book in six months. And so that's where I am now. And this is the first time. So the book I just turned in the Clancy book, I had, I actually had uh, maybe nine months or something to write that. And so the book that I'm working on now, Matt Drake, number three is due on July 15th. So this will be the first one where it's no kidding, six months, you got to go and, and bust that book out. And so it's, 
it's harder. It's a, it's a lot harder. You have to be a lot more disciplined, but when I was talking with Brad Taylor about it, you know, I asked him, I can't remember if I asked him or, or somebody at one of his signings, they said, Hey, do you ever, do you ever vacillate in your plots? And he's like, I couldn't afford to, because when I was writing, he's crazy. He wrote two books a year and he would write a novella between each book as he was working on it. And <laughs> that's he's like, I, I never yeah, had time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you had to have the idea and stick with it or else you wouldn't get the book done on time. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, call me back on July 15th. And if I'm still alive and then we can talk if I'm successful or not. So yeah. jury's still out on that one. We'll Crazy. See. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone has their own way of doing it. You know, I, I'm already working on two new novels and it's like, for wow. me, I'm the, well, I'm the kind of guy I have to just, if it's in my head, I, I, I can, yep. I got to get it down. Um, nice. Nice. Yeah, but you know, the, you you could also be Danielle Steele, and she writes seven novels <laughs> at a time. Um, yes, yeah. Crazy. There's all different ways to do this. Um, yeah, all different ways. It's crazy, Don. This has been an absolute pleasure, man. Um, I always kind of yeah, I always kind of ask two kind of questions at the end of this. Um, the first is, do you do any kind of social media? I know you said Facebook. How uh, can yep. people get in touch with you? How can they kind of link up with you? Sure. I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter and then Facebook as well. And my handle is Bentley Don B. So B-E-N-T-L-E-Y-D-O-N-B. And then you can also go to my website, which is donbentleybooks.com. So just D-O-N-B-E-N-T-L-E-Y books.com. Okay. You said, um, are you on Instagram too, or just Twitter and Facebook? I'm not. Okay. Yeah. Just Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. It's so funny. See, I mean, again, it's all the, the very different worlds, how people, uh, <laughs> how people act. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to see how people, when people are in both of those worlds, how they act. Yeah in both of those worlds a little um, different in each one yeah 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 i don't know I, I forget i don't know if you're in ohio now but the last question i always ask where are people buying your books who do you like to kind of local rep your bookstores yeah so i'm in i've been in texas off and on um for the last 20 years and oh, i've man, been in austin all for the last nine coming there now yeah. right <laughs> half y'all are here and the other half are house hunting that's crazy that's what i tell people so our local book independent bookstore is called Book People, and it's fantastic. So I'm actually doing an event um, with them and Brad Taylor tomorrow for oh, okay. um, our kickoff. So yeah, Book yeah. People. And then there's also Murder by the Book that is in Houston. And then I'm doing an event with Poison Pen as well. The, all those independent bookstores, Joseph Beth is another one, are incredible. But my local one is um, Book People. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>